My name is Rick Renner, and I'm in the ancient city of Hierapolis, which was in the Roman province of Asia. And right now I'm standing among ancient tombs that date all the way back to four centuries before Christ. And they're positioned right along this road, which was the Royal Road. The Royal Road was royal. It began in Smyrna at the harbor, and it went all the way into Persia. Kings, queens, emperors, dignitaries, politicians traveled along this road. And as they traveled along this road, they would take their time to stop and to look at these tombs. These tombs were filled with the dead bodies of illustrious people from the past, historians, military soldiers, officers, all kinds of illustrious individuals. And the purpose of the tombs was to remind the travelers of the great people which once passed this way. The Greek word to describe these tombs is the word menea. The word menea describes a tomb, a sepulcher, a monument, a grave, and this word is used all over the New Testament. One very vivid place where this word is used is in Hebrews 10 verse 32, where the Bible says, call to remembrance the former days. That word remembrance is this word menea, which is the Greek word for a tomb, a sepulcher, a grave, a monument. And by using this word, the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me, there are some things we should never forget. If we've buried good memories from the past, things that God has done for us, events that were significant, and we've forgotten about them because of all the clutter of life, then like a grave, a tomb, a monument, a sepulcher, we need to pull them out of the grave. We need to put them up in a place where we can observe them, look at them, and remember what God did for us in the past. These are things that should never become buried with the busyness of life. What has God done for you that you've recently forgotten about? Is it time for you to take it out of the grave, dust it off, look at it, and remember what Jesus Christ has done for you? We are to call to remembrance these events those things God has done for us should mentally be positioned all around us so that we pass through those memories all the time. That's what I want you to think about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. I'm so glad you've joined me for the program. Today, we're going to jump right back into Revelation chapter 2, and we're really going to be focusing on verse 4 and verse 5, powerful and important verses for you and for me. So stay with me all the way to the end of the program. But today, I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. It's a 10-part series based on these programs. You can order it in multiple formats, but it comes with a wonderful study guide with all the Greek words and definitions, the points, the principles that I cover in these programs. It would be great for you to use personally or to use with a friend or even in a Bible study group. Really, you need to order it. I encourage you to do that today. And we also are offering my book called a light in darkness. Wow. Seven messages to the seven churches. This book is amazing. Even when I look at it, I'm amazed that I wrote this book and it is loaded with so much vital information. Documents from the first century, the second century, the third century, which tells us what was happening in the first century when the church was struggling. It's filled with all kinds of photos and illustrations, original photos that my own staff took on location in Turkey at all the seven locations 
of the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Look at this. It is just an amazing book. And it's a book that I think you need for your spiritual library. You won't read it all at once, but you'll probably put it in a visible place in your home because it's so beautiful. Really, it's a coffee table book. You'll use it. You'll flip through the pages. It will become a reference for your study of the New Testament. And I want you to get it. And we're offering it to you today. And today I'm going to be reading from this book because I cannot improve on what I wrote. But first, we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, but he doesn't speak directly to the church. He speaks to the angel of the church, who is the pastor of the church. And that's important because Jesus never bypasses the authority that he has set in the church, and the pastor is the local authority. So when Christ had something to say to the church, he said it to the pastor first. And that's why Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 begins by saying, And unto the angel of the church in Ephesus write, that word angel, the Greek word angelos, it can be translated the messenger of the church, or in this particular context, it refers to the pastor of the church. And listen to what Jesus said. Unto the angel or the pastor of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Then in verse 2, Jesus says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. And we saw in the last program that because Ephesus was the key church to the entire province, people were showing up from every nook and cranny of the Roman Empire to try out their revelations in Ephesus. They all knew that if they could score a big victory in Ephesus, if they could be endorsed there, then the door would open for them to go to the whole province of Asia. So people were showing up to test their revelations, hopefully to be endorsed. But the Ephesian leaders were so serious about doctrinal purity and doctrinal integrity, they didn't quickly lay their hands on anyone they were not very fast to endorse newcomers. The Bible tells us explicitly in verse 2, they tried them, they tested them, and they discovered that many who claimed to be apostles were not. In fact, they found them to be liars. That word liar, the Greek word saudes, really describes somebody that is a pretend apostle, someone who is phony. You could translate it to be bogus. And I don't want to assume that everyone who showed up had an ulterior motive that was evil. Maybe they really thought they were apostles. But after they were checked out by the leadership in Ephesus, the leadership said, you know what? These are not the authentic thing. These are counterfeits. These are bogus apostles. And the Bible goes on to tell us in verse 3 that they were continually responsible in this way. Verse 3 says, and has borne. The Greek actually says, and you have continually borne this responsibility and has patience. The Greek word hupomene, a better translation would be, and you have continually stayed under the heavy load, refusing to bend, refusing to break. Even though you felt like surrendering at times, you did not surrender. You did not relinquish your responsibility. And you've done it for my name's sake. They even did all of this for the right reason. They were doing it because they loved Jesus. He says, you've labored, this word kopas, the hardest, most wearisome kind of labor. And he says, you have not fainted. This word faint means to give up and to give out. So this church began well. It continued well. It was responsible. It was hardworking. It loved the ministry. It loved doctrinal integrity. It believed in spiritual purity. 
It really was trying to do everything right. But when you come to verse 4, Jesus says these words, nevertheless, in Greek it is the word Allah, it's almost a break with the text. You could translate it, in spite of all these wonderful things, I have something to say. Wow. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. First of all, Jesus says, I have. That is the Greek word echo, which means I have or I hold. Jesus was literally saying, there's something that I feel, and I have it or I hold it very personally. I feel this deeply. So whatever Jesus is disturbed by, he is deeply disturbed by it. He says, I hold this somewhat against thee. The word against is a Greek word kata. It describes a downward mark or a strike against somebody. It's the equivalent of saying with all the great things I've said about you, there's one thing that is a strike against you, and I hold it very closely. I feel this very deeply. What in the world did Jesus feel? so deeply about them that was negative. Well, he tells us. He says, because thou hast left thy first love. The Greek sentence structure is different. The Greek sentence structure says, because your love, the first one, you have left. The first one is a Greek phrase, which means early love, or in this particular case, it would be the early love felt by somebody who's just fallen in love. Somebody who's just fallen in love, just like two young people who fall hard for each other. They're in love with each other. They're infatuated with each other. They live for each other. That's early love. That's the word that is used here. Jesus says your early love, the awe and the wonder that you carried in your heart when you first came to me, you've left it. Now, this word left does not mean to abandon. Jesus did not say they had abandoned it. It's the word left, which is the Greek word ephiemi. And the word ephiemi does not describe the abandonment of a thing, but rather the involuntary release of something that once you held very dear and very close to your heart. Over a period of time, this church had become so involved in the machinery of ministry and the busyness of life and all of their church schedules that in the midst of serving Jesus, they begin to lose their vibrancy for Jesus. They were involved in ministry, but they really had drifted away from the Lord himself. And Jesus said, in spite of all the good things I've said about you, this I really hold against you. Kata, it is a strike against you. And what is it? Because your love, that is the early one. What you had when you first came to me, what you felt when you first came to me, how enthralled you were when you first came to me, the purity, the wonder of it all, somehow over the years, you've allowed it to slip through your fingers. You didn't abandon it. You've just lost it along the way. Now, I want to read to you from page 445 in my book, A Light in Darkness. Listen to what it says. By the time that John saw Christ on the Isle of Patmos, more than 30 years had passed since the Ephesians first repented. And in the vision, Christ said to them, your love, the first one, you have left. The phrase you have left is from the Greek word ephiemi, as I've said. It denotes the voluntary release of something once held dear or to neglect, to ignore, or to leave something or someone behind. Although the Ephesians were still committed to Christ, they no longer had the deep passion and fervency for him that once consumed their hearts.
Over the years, as they became more doctrinally sophisticated, their simple but profound first love for Jesus had somehow dissipated and slipped away from them, even though they had never stopped faithfully serving him. This was still a remarkable church, but the fervency that characterized this body believers in the past was now missing. It happens often that the first generation of Christians experiences dramatic salvations as they come to Christ. However, the second generation who is raised in a Christian environment often doesn't experience the same radical deliverance that their parents experienced. As each generation becomes more accustomed to a Christian environment, learning to speak the language of the church, to sing the songs of the church, and to act the way church people should act, it becomes easy for a new generation, a younger generation, to slip into a mindset of familiarity. Too often this can produce apathy in people's hearts, ultimately leading them to take the redemptive work of Christ for granted. The potential for spiritual fires to grow dimmer increases dangerously with each new successive generation unless each church and its members become unrelenting in their commitment to retain their spiritual passion. This is precisely why Jesus said to the Ephesian church, remember. Now, interesting, that word remember is the Greek word menea. And the Greek word menea, here translated remember, is the Greek word for a statue, a monument, a grave, or a sepulcher. A sepulcher. Now, hold on to that thought. I'll be back in just a moment. Listen very careful. When a church becomes older and more structured... It can become so engaged in ministry business that it runs the risk of forfeiting its zeal and spiritual fire. What was once held as precious often becomes routine. Mm, isn't that sad? What once was precious becomes routine. And as the leadership and church members become accustomed to the precious Holy Spirit in their lives, too often they unintentionally begin to simply traffic in the things of God. In its early years, the Ephesian church burned like a spiritual inferno. And the excitement of these believers inspired passion in other churches and spiritual leaders. But as the years passed, the zeal the church once possessed slowly ebbed away. Knowledge increased, but the believers' fiery passion for Jesus diminished. The Ephesians were so busy serving Jesus that they lost their intimacy with him. We all run that risk. We have to be very careful to avoid that. For this reason, Jesus went on to say, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Christ urged them to stop everything they were doing to remember the precious fellowship they used to enjoy with him. The word remember, here it is, the Greek word menea, comes from the Greek word menea, and in ancient literature, this word denoted a written record used to memorialize a person's actions, a sepulcher, a statue, a monument, or a tombstone. It describes something that would put you in remembrance, something that you should never forget. Wow. The Ephesian believers' early experiences with Christ, listen, had become buried by nearly 30 years of spiritual activity. Jesus was urging them by using this word menea, the Greek word remember, which is also the word for a grave, a tomb, a sepulcher. Listen to what it meant. 
Jesus urged them to dig through the clutter of their schedules and routines and activities so they could get down to the base of their life and remember their vibrant beginning. Like dirt on a grave, the busyness of life had buried what was once precious to them. By using the word remember, the Greek word menea, Jesus implored them to unearth those early memories when their faith was tender and new, to dig deep in order to recall and recover their powerful past. And once they remembered, then they would be able to see how far they had drifted from the spiritual fervency that had marked their beginning. The word remember means Jesus wanted the Ephesian believers to remain continually mindful of their past. What God had done in their midst was a wonderful memory that needed to be memorialized among them for all generations. And if they took an honest look at their hearts and compared their present to their past, they would see what Jesus already knew about them. What did Jesus know? That they had fallen from the zeal and spiritual passion that had once burned in their hearts. Regardless of the adulation the Ephesian church received from other churches and spiritual leaders, Jesus said they were fallen. That is an amazing thing because in the eyes of the church world, they were the greatest. They were the model church. They were the biggest church, the most sophisticated church, the most developed church. That's what the church world saw. But Jesus sees the real picture. And even though they were big and sophisticated and doctrinally developed, though they were very polished and very structured, they had lost something so important that Jesus said they were fallen. Now listen, the word fallen is the Greek word pipto. I'm going to read to you what it means. This word fallen describes a fall, a collapse, a downward plummet, a downward from a formerly presumed high and haughty position. Wow, that is amazing. The church of Ephesus had a glorious past and a famous name. It was large, well-known, and recognized by others as a spiritual leader and a model church. Nevertheless, Jesus saw the situation very differently from what human eyes could see. Listen to this. The Ephesian church may have seemed impressive and influential from man's perspective, but in Jesus' eyes, it had fallen. Why? Because they had lost the wonder of it all. That's what Jesus said to them in verse 4. I have this against you, Kata, to strike against you because your love, the first one, what you felt at the very beginning, what you experienced at the very beginning, that pure, innocent, wonderful love you've left, the Greek word aphiemi, somehow over the years, through all your schedules, you've let that thing which was most important slip through your fingers, and now it's gone. This means... One's past is not a guarantee of the future. If an individual or a church is not completely devoted to doing whatever is necessary to retain spiritual passion, it is likely that over time, the initial passion will slowly dissipate, and this was the case with the church of Ephesus. Jesus demanded that they remember and repent. Now I want to ask you today, are you today in the same spiritual condition that you were in when you first came to Christ. I'm sure that in many ways you're better. You're more sophisticated. You know the Bible better. You've been walking with God longer. But let me ask you, do you still carry the wonder of it all in your heart 
like you did when you first repented, when you were first filled with the Holy Spirit, when you could hardly wait to get to church and raise your hands and worship God and jump and run around and cast out demons and lay hands on the sick? Or are you now so sophisticated that you no longer do those silly things that you did when you first came to Christ? The Ephesian church, when they first came to Christ, were totally in love with Christ. Like two young people in love, they fell hard for Christ. They were consumed with him. They thought of him. They lived for him. Every thought of Jesus was on their mind every moment of the day. And now, through many years of doing many things, testing bogus apostles, working very hard, refusing to give up territory that they had gained, working so hard to maintain what had been attained along the way, making sure they were protecting the province of Asia, raising up teachers, raising up missionaries, starting new churches, activity, activity, activity. All of it was good. In fact, Jesus commended them for all of them. He commended them for it. But yet when you get to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, Jesus says, nevertheless, the Greek word Allah, it's a break with the text. It's the equivalent to saying, in spite of all these wonderful things that I have to say about you, but nevertheless, in spite of all of that, I have this one thing against you. I have the Greek word echo. I hold it very closely. I feel this very personally. I have it against you. The word kata, it's a strike against you. This is one strike against you. And what was it? Because your love, that is the first one. What you felt at the very beginning, Ephiami, you have let it slip through your fingers. Slowly, over a period of time, the fires have begun to wane. Now it has dissipated. Now you're involved in the machinery and the orthodoxy of ministry. But you've lost the wonder of it all that you once felt. And Jesus said to them, it's time for you to put everything on pause and remember. Go back to the beginning in your mind. How unfortunate that you've let the clutter of life, like dirt on a grave, cover something that should never be covered, something that should never be buried. You should never forget what it was like, how you were changed, the power that came into your life. You should never lose the wonder of it all. And when Jesus said, remember, he was saying, it's time for you to go unearth those memories and compare. What are you now compared to what you were then? Even though you're more sophisticated, more astute, do you still have the wonder of it all that you had in the beginning? And if the answer is no, then Jesus tells you to repent. That's what he says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. What in the world does it mean to repent? Do Christians still repent? You repented when you came to Christ, but you continue to repent in life? seems today there's a lot of confusion about the word repent. What is repentance? What repentance is not? What is it not? And how do you do it? What is repentance? What is it not? And how do you do it? Those are very important questions. That's what I'm going to talk to you about when we come back in the next program. But right now we're out of time. But I'm going to be back in just a moment. And I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit will help you remember what you were like and that you can resurrect those memories and walk in the same wonder of it all, even now. I'll see you in just a moment.
The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world with unsurpassed detail fascinating insights and historical context you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of scripture and how you should interpret it for today this beautifully bound 800 page full color biblical resource can be yours for 80 dollars. features on location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the new testament come alive when you call or go online today you can also get christ's message to ephesus an in-depth 10-part teaching series that delves deep into the message Jesus gave to the Ephesian church. The church of Ephesus was a successful church on the outside, but they had drifted from their first love of Jesus. Available in digital or physical format starting at just $20. Rick uses this teaching series to remind you to return to your first love of Jesus. A light in darkness and Christ's message to Ephesus. Call now or go to renner.org to order. Friends, this is Rick Renner. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful, and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free, and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa, and I call this Phase 3. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for Phase 3, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you've left your first love. That word left does not mean they abandoned their first love. It does not mean that. It is the Greek word aphiemi, which means to release something. Maybe it was voluntary. Maybe it was involuntary. It seems they just got really busy. And in the midst of all their busy schedules, they begin to loosen their grip on that early love they experienced with Jesus when they first repented. Now they've become more astute. They're very doctrinally developed, but they've lost the wonder of it all, the excitement, the passion, the fervency they once felt. Somehow it's all diminished, and now they've become involved in the machinery and the busy schedules of church and ministry, and now they're just trafficking in the things of God. And Jesus says, you know what? This is wrong. And I really have this against you. The word kata is the word against. It describes a downward strike. I have this one mark against you. In spite of all their great things, Jesus said, this is not good. And in verse 5, he told them what to do. 
he said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. That word whence is the Greek word pothen. It points back to an earlier time in their life. He's literally saying, put everything on pause and mentally go back to the beginning. Remember the fervency, the vibrancy, the excitement that you had back then. And if you don't still have it now, Christ says, then you need to repent. What in the world does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about in the next program. But remember, I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. It's wonderful. You need to order it. And I'm also offering you my book called A Light in Darkness. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would mentally take us back to the beginning and refresh us in what we were like when we first were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if we have missed that, if we've drifted from that, then we ask you to help us to repent and do the first works. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with me. I'll see you in the next broadcast.